as we kick off our SMSU campus update for this Tuesday, March 28th, 2023. Joining me in studio, as per usual, Mr. Bill Molso, VP for Government Relations, Marketing, and Communications. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Josh. How are you doing today? I'm great, and you led with plenty of sunshine. Nice job this Plenty week. of sunshine, and uh, they didn't include it in that forecast, but extended forecast. We're not going to talk about it. Don't no, we about. are. Sunday, 45 and sunny. Oh, you skipped a couple of days. That's good. Well, okay. <laughs> You know, we, we talked about the negative parts. Let's just talk like about the highlights. About two months straight, we're yeah. done with that. Also joining us in studio is Dr. John Ginocchio, uh, excuse me, professor of music and director of bands at SMSU. I asked you about your name uh, before we got on air just because I wanted to double check, and I still screwed it up. Uh, you wouldn't be the first one. Yeah, I know. I do apologize for that. <laughs> also, uh, very happy to announce that we got in studio Mr. Tom Bones Malone. The uh, guest musician performing with the uh, SMSU and Marshall High School Jazz Bands tonight. And Tom Bones Malone, you have quite the resume. Uh, it was sent to me via an, uh, an email. It was 18 pages long. So you've done a little bit of work over your time. Um, I've been pretty lucky. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to describe it. So uh, when you do Google Tom Bones Malone, uh, you definitely get the sense that Tom Malone is a legend in the music business. It is definitely an honor to have you here with us today. First of all, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of where you're from and how you got your career started in the music industry? Well, uh, briefly, um, I, um, I was born in Honolulu, 1947. My father survived Pearl Harbor, U.S. Navy. Uh, I was a Navy brat until I was 11. Father bought a farm in the middle of nowhere in South Mississippi. Now I'm milking cows, hauling hay, picking corn, stuff like that. And uh, I didn't really want to be there for the rest of my life. So I took up music and I knew it was my way out of the farm. And so I practiced four or five hours a day from age 12 on. And I wanted to move to New York and be a professional. And uh, it worked out. Yeah, no doubt. And I mean, how did you get your interest in jazz music? Because I mean, there's a lot of music going on around the 40s. How did you get interested in jazz? Well, I first started playing a rock and roll band, but then I started listening to some records of big bands and, uh, it interested me very much. Uh, we didn't have a jazz program at my school, so I started my own jazz band. I put I wrote the arrangements, uh, put together an eight-piece band. We went to the state stage band contest, and we won third place. I was 15 at the time, and uh, I got a scholarship to the Stan Kenton Stage Band Camp at Indiana University. And so I, that really uh, spurred my interest in, in jazz music. And later on, you got a call to work on Saturday Night Live. When was that, and what was your role on the show? Well, I was uh, a ranger and uh, multi-instrumentalist in the band. That was uh, first show was August 3rd, 1975. Uh, uh, and uh, Lou Marini was in the band. I actually got Lou into the band. Howard Johnson, uh, Alan Rubin. Uh, you know, it was it was quite a fun band. I was there for ten years, and I was a music director. I was the arranger for the show for the ten years. And I was a music director from 81 to 85. So I was a, a ranger, contractor, band leader, and multi-instrumentalist musician, too. So I, was, I only did 96 hours a week. Oh, just, just 96. Yeah. yeah. We're sleeping for wimps. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, people that know SNL, they know the Blues Brothers. Can you tell us about your role in that? Okay, I was, uh, I, I was the arranger for the show for the first 10 years. In, in 1978, I got a call. Can you meet with John and Danny in John's office? It was just the three of us. When I say John and Danny, I mean uh, Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. So, you know, just on a first name basis. Yeah, with those two it's guys, just yeah. A, anyway, it's just the three of us. And 
they wanted me to write an arrangement. They were working on these, developing these characters that wore sunglasses day and night. So I wrote an arrangement of a song. We did it for Lauren Michaels, the producer. Didn't make the show. Wow. Next week, uh, John and Danny are still hot on this idea of the Blues Brothers. So I wrote an arrangement of another song called Hey Bartender. And we did it for Lauren Michaels. And Lauren said, frankly, I don't see anything funny about the Blues Brothers. So week number three, John and Danny gave up. They said, if Lauren doesn't like it, if we're not getting on, we're wasting our time. So couldn't argue. After read through the third week, Lauren comes out of read through about 3.15, looking at his watch. And he says, the show's th- three minutes short. What are we going to do? And John and Danny jumped on him and said, Lauren, the Blues Brothers. So Lauren said, we have nothing worthwhile to put in those three minutes. You guys might as well make fools of yourselves. He put us on. And I suppose the rest is history. You know, it just became one of the most iconic bits of all time. Yeah, just like that. Oh, wow, that's crazy. And then uh, you also worked with the, uh, the Late Show with David Letterman. Tell us about that experience. Well, when I was a music director at Saturday Night Live, 1982, I got a call from my unit manager and she says, I got a new job. I'm the associate producer of the David Letterman show. And I said, what's that? She says, you've never seen it. It comes on real early in the morning, but we're changing the show to a, a late, late night format. And we're looking for a band leader to lead a four piece band. Uh, I wonder if you'd be interested. And so they made me a financial offer. And uh, well, I was making about five times that much money at Saturday night live with all my roles there. And so, uh, Paul Schaefer had just come back to town, get back to New York about two weeks before this phone call. He he went to L.A. to be in a, a TV show called A Year at the Top. It was a, a series with Greg Avigan. It ran about six, seven episodes. Network pulled the plug. Paul came back to New York. And I told uh, Liz, I said, you should call this kid Paul Schaefer. He'll take care of it. And she did call him, and he did take care of it. And he, you know, he was at the, he was just downstairs uh, at 6H, two, two floors below where we were doing Saturday Night Live. Uh, and, uh, you know, all the guys in the band were friends of mine, Steve Jordan, Will Lee, Hiram Bullock. And uh, uh, anyway, Paul was nice enough to call me when he added two horn players to the new band at CBS. When the, the show went from NBC to CBS, went from late, late night to late night. And uh, I was there. I was his arranger and uh, multi-instrumentalist for 22 years. Wow. Like you said, be nice to somebody, and it comes back to you. That was a, that was a great uh, gift to return. <laughs> so yes, you must. Oh, go ahead. Oh well, um, yeah, that, that that was a a thrill to play with so many different artists: um, uh, Shania Twain, Faith Hill, Garth Brooks. Uh, you, you name it, uh, I got to play with them. Yeah. Any interesting stories with any of those folks? Oh, even even Snoop Dogg. Uh, <laughs> we got, got to. Just a wide variety, uh, uh, Dolly Parton. Uh, just uh, the, the country artists tend to be a little bit nicer than the average rock artist. You know, I'm not putting down rock. I played with, uh, you know, Frank Zappa and Blood, Sweat and Tears and, uh, and recorded with a whole bunch of groups like that. But uh, 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 they did just a little more uh, friendly and uh, homebodies. How many instruments do you play? I play 16 instruments professionally. You don't have to list them all, but well, I'm playing. I'm right now. My <clears throat> my project at home is I have Pro Tools 11 in my computer and, and a U87 microphone, and I'm recording my own big band album by myself because I play all the instruments. You know, usually you need, and I arrange too. I I did during my career. I did uh, 
3,000 arrangements for television. So you don't get any sleep. Uh, no, no reason to sleep. <laughs> so in addition to a performance, uh, you kind of touched on it. You're involved in arranging, producing, composing, and serving as a musical director and clinician. Tell us about some of those highlights. Well, uh, I, I, I love uh, giving back uh, to the community. I love going to schools and uh, telling people what I know. Try to share, share what I've learned from my experience. Uh, I'm, I'm working on my own book right now, too, and the, the working title is Name Dropper because of all the people that I've worked with. I think I worked with everybody in the business except Frank Sinatra, and I got the call to play with him in Atlantic City one time, and I already had another job, so I had to turn it down, unfortunately. Imagine being in the position where you turn down a Frank Sinatra. Oh, my <laughs> I know. I can't uh... Oh, my goodness. How about, a, a, I mean, this has got to be crazy to try and narrow this down, a favorite performance? Wow. I yeah. get this question a lot, and it's just there's just been too many. Um, uh, playing live with James Brown in New York City. <laughs> Little Stevie Wonder when he was 16. Uh, uh, just uh, on and on like that. Ray Charles. Uh, yeah, I got to arrange and play with Ray Charles on Saturday Night Live. Uh, wow. Uh, Aretha Franklin. Uh, wow. Uh, I, I did a tour in 69. It was the, the original Five Temptations, Gladys Knight and the Pips, uh, the Supremes. Yeah, just it got so many stories like that. Not to mention the closing ceremonies from the Olympics the in biggest, Atlanta. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was just telling John that last night. The biggest job of my career was probably the closing ceremonies in Atlanta, 1996. Uh, Paul Schaefer was a house band, so I was the arranger. We did uh, Garth Brooks, uh, Faith Hill, uh, Wynton Marsalis, <laughs> Little Richard. Um, we needed some background singers, so we got the Pointer Sisters. We got we needed some percussion, so we got uh, Sheila E. and Tito Puente. Uh, so uh, there were 87,000 people in the arena, and uh, we were broadcast live to 134 countries on NBC. So I figured the audience was around 100 million. I hope all of our listeners' faces are exactly like us three here in the studio. We're just, just shaking just, our heads. Just baffled, just, just dumbfounded, just amazed. That's that's absolutely amazing. Um, can you tell me which musicians were an influence on you? Wow. Well, there's so many different ones. Uh, Charlie Parker, uh, Miles Davis, uh, uh, Quincy Jones, um, uh, uh, John Coltrane, J.J. Johnson, Bill Watrous, uh, just... Uh, uh, and uh, I got to play with some of these people during my career. Gil, Ev I played with Gil Evans for 15 years. He was known as the uh, best arranger in the jazz world. I learned a lot about arranging music from him. Uh, we did uh, the 1983 Japan tour, Miles Davis and Gil Evans. <laughs> I played on the last. I played on the last recording with Miles Davis in Montreux, Switzerland. It was. Uh, I think the album is called. Uh, uh, Miles Davis and Quincy Jones live in Montreux, 1991. Miles passed away about three weeks later. Hmm. Kind of I, leaves you speechless, doesn't yeah, it? Just, yeah. that's, Trying to fathom all that. That's absolutely insane. So, Tom, you've got all these amazing stories to share, but is today you're here working with students. Tell us about what it's like for you to share some of these experiences and work with these young people. Well, I, I love that expression on a student's face when they understand a concept. There's, it just, it's, 
impossible to describe, but there's something in their eyes that their eyes open up and they, they, under, they get a new concept. They understand something that they've been trying to understand and you help them get over that bridge to the next step in whatever it is musically, whether it's playing the instrument, whether it's arranging music, whether it's listening to music, understanding music theory. Uh, you know, there's so many, um, so many things like that that I, and I love doing it. Uh, uh, I, I didn't study music. I have a degree in psychology. You know, I'm a self-taught musician. I took I took music theory 101 as a freshman in college, and uh, I answered all the questions, and the teacher took me outside, and he said, you don't have to come to class. He says, you already know all this stuff. So, um, uh, you know, I've just, uh, I just love uh, the psychological influence that I can have on students. Question for you, John. How are yeah. you able to get this man to Minnesota? Well, you know, I, he had been recommended to me by a couple of my previous guests. You know, uh, I so I and I, of course, I'd heard the name for for years, and uh, you know, I always kept the name in the back of my mind. And last year, uh, in January, I went down to Dallas for the national conference for uh, the Jazz Education Network. And lo and behold, Tom was there doing a presentation. And um, I had already lined up our, our guest, uh, Allison Miller, for last year. And, and I, I finally got a chance to meet her down there, too. But uh, after a session, I just hung around and I went up and talked to him and just kind of tossed out the idea. I said, hey, you know, I, I, I always bring in a guest. And uh, Larry McWilliams, who was the, the head of the Jazz Studies program at Ball State University when I did my doctorate, um, knew him and, and was one of the first people to recommend him to me. And uh, we got talking a little bit and he said, yeah, I'd love to do it. And um, like the next week I sent him an email and said, you know, these would be the dates. And he said, let's do it. And um, so, yeah, you know, and, you know, we're so easy to work with and so eager to go out and work with, with students of, of any age, of any ability um, and that's exactly the type of guest artist that we always try to find, you know, somebody who can work with anyone. And, uh, of course, we get uh, financial support from the Southwest Minnesota Arts Council. Um, they've been great to us year after year, uh, providing us a grant to be able to bring in our guests. And, uh, you know, that's really how we're able to afford to do it. Um, you know, on the financial end, but then, you know, then it's just, you know, finding the right people and, and, uh, you know, Tom and I have been talking for the last two days and he's got, he's already listed off like 50 names of people that I should bring in, in, you know, the next 50 years that I'm here. So, you know, um, so, you know, it's, it's all about that, you know, trying to, as Tom said, trying to get other people in front of our students, giving them the chance to hear these stories, to learn from, from his experience. And uh, so, yeah, I, you know, this is, this is one of my favorite weeks out of the year, every year, just because my students learn so much. I learn so much just from having our guests in, so. And it looks like you guys played in Worthington last night. Tell us about that. Oh, it was wonderful. We played in uh, Memorial Auditorium, uh, which is just beautifully re renovated uh, down there. It's a great place to play. Uh, the Worthington uh, bands came and played. They had a sixth grade jazz combo that sounded wonderful. They had a seventh and eighth grade jazz combo that played. Their high school jazz ensemble played uh, earlier in the day. 
uh, I brought Tom down there and he worked with their high school jazz ensemble for about an hour and 15 minutes. Um, and then our group went out and played a little bit. We brought Tom out and, you know, and just wowed the audience uh, there for a good half hour or so. And, uh, oh, it was wonderful. Had a great audience. Um, you know, they just loved it. This is a question for both of you. How would you describe jazz and how does it differentiate from other genres? Well, <clears throat> uh, jazz is where you make something up. <laughs> That's what uh, Yogi Berra said. He said, those jazz musicians are just making it up. You just, uh, uh, you, you have a chord structure and you, you make up a mel melody spontaneously. It's like, it's the same as composition, but it's just right now, instant, uh, instant composition. You just make up a melody as you go. And uh, I've been doing it for so long that I just turn off the intellectual side of my brain and let the other side, the creative side, I just let it play the instrument. And the instrument, I've been playing the instrument for so many years that the instrument plays itself. I've been playing professionally for 60 years now. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I, I, I can't do that. I have to think about it, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I, you know, I think one of the great things about jazz is it's really, it's really the only American music style. It's the only style of music that really started in the United States and, did most of its development in the United States. Um, and in some ways it's, it's really kind of a shame that the American public doesn't pay quite as much attention to jazz. Um, honestly, jazz is much bigger in Europe than it is in the United States and, and Japan and Japan yeah. and in Japan. And, you know, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a little disappointing because this is our music. You know, all the classical music that you ever listen to is, even when it's written by American composers, so much of it is just derived from European music. You know, rock music may have gotten its start in the United States, but there was an awful lot that happened over in England, especially with the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. They, they really set the direction of rock and roll early on. So even though it started here, so much of what's going on in rock music was determined 40 years ago uh, by the Beatles. And, you know, so, you know, that's, that's one of the really special things about jazz to me is it's something that's uniquely American and even the jazz that's played around the world still retains mostly the characteristics that were developed here. And, uh, and and as Tom said, you know, there's the spontaneity to jazz that you don't get in classical music, that you don't get in rock music that is so clearly prescribed. You know, you go to a concert and and you hear somebody perform and it's so many like rock performers, you know, it sounds exactly like it did on the recording that you bought. And it's great to see them live, but, you know, to get to hear a chart you know, five or six times and every single time it sounds a little different. There's something really special about that. I, I played on Paul McCartney's last album, <laughs> Egypt station. And I played with Ringo at the uh, rock and roll hall of fame awards. I got to arrange and play with him and he was the nicest guy. Paul, Paul came in to induct him and he said, Paul says, well, we had, we had this band in Liverpool and the drummer, our drummer wasn't working out. So, we tried everybody in town that played rock and roll drums and we tried this guy and we tried this guy and we tried this guy and they all had a good beat. 
uh, we got this guy Ringo came in. He had five, six different beats. So yeah, I said, guys, I think we should go with Ringo. <laughs> and the rest is history. Yeah, just like that. Yeah. So there are uh, two opportunities for the public to come and listen, correct? When uh, when, and where? Well, uh, at noon today uh, in the Fine Arts Theater, Tom is just going to just regale us with stories and talk about whatever he wants to talk about, really. Um, and that'll go for about an hour from noon until about one in the theater this uh, today. And then tonight uh, we have our performance at 730 uh, the Marshall High School Jazz Band will be there. They'll be playing two or three tunes. Uh, and then uh, the SMSU Jazz Ensemble will go out and play four or five. And then we'll bring Tom out. And we've got we've got a good set with Tom uh, to play. So, uh, you know, concert will probably run hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half, uh, 7.30 till about almost 9. Um, but it's going to be going to be a great show it's free it's open to the public that's another great thing you know with uh, being able to get the grant money and i always point this out when i ask for the grant money is that it is so rare to have artists of tom's caliber here in town i want as many people to get to hear him as possible and i don't want money to be a barrier to that so it is free so come on out bring your friends it's a, a unique opportunity that you know it's a whole different thing to see him live than to uh, watch reruns of Saturday Night Live or The Letterman Show. Uh, so, Very good. Uh, I know you guys do have to get going, so I do appreciate this, uh, the discussion here this morning, and uh, good luck with your concerts. Uh, thanks again for joining us. Uh, thank you for having us. And uh, Bill, you do have a list of events? We do have a get going? few lists of things. Okay. We might not have any athletic events at all this spring based yeah, on what the weather's not. doing, yeah. but... Uh, tonight's events do kick off our fine arts celebration, and that runs from March 28th through May 5th. So be sure to go on our website and check out that full list of things. Uh, coming up this weekend, the theater uh, kicks off uh, the Enchanted Bookshop at 11 and 2 on Friday night, or excuse me, on Saturday, and then on Sunday they have shows at 2 and 4 p.m. So be sure to check those out. And then our Muslim student organization will be hosting events for Ramadan now through April 21st. They have a daily supper from 7 to 9 p.m. Monday through Friday in the link between the Student Center and Bellows Academics. So uh, that's that's going on here uh, throughout the Ramadan season. And then uh, mark the calendars for World Fest. Uh, our second annual will be April 15th, and we'll learn more about that here in uh, the coming weeks. Very good. Bill Molso, thanks for the update. Thank you, Josh.